Hi, I'm Paul, the Ripples Guy. Welcome to the Ripples Podcast, where we share quick splashes of inspiration and explore how even our smallest actions can have an ongoing impact on our lives, the people we connect with, and the whole world. Are you in? I hope you enjoy this episode, and I hope you enjoy today. Hello, it's Paul the Ripples Guy coming to you either live or via the videotape on YouTube's videotape. Who says that? Or you might be listening to the Ripples podcast. And whether you are live or listening to the replay later, I am so excited to be with you uh, for this fireside chat, part of our monthly Zooms that I do with the Team Ripples Patreon community. And we're opening this up to everyone today. If you're familiar with the weekly Ripple's emails that we've been sending out for 25 years, still freaked out about that number, um, you know Pebble Boulder Ponder is the format we use there, a little small quote, a longer quote, and something to think about for the week. We use that format here, and the Pebble is a a resource uh, that I've been using in my worker life, and the Boulder is an activity that's been helpful to me, either personally or professionally. And then the ponder is the meat of our content. And if you caught the last update about uh, this Zoom, you'll know that as I pulled together and decided what I wanted to explore with you, it turned out that there was a common theme with most of the things around getting stuck. And so as we dive into this content, I'm going to ask you right now if there's anything you feel stuck about. Is there a decision that you've been struggling with? Is there a way in your work or some other area of your life that you just feel a little stuck? And if so, I'm going to invite you to be curious about which pieces of these might be helpful for that particular uh, piece of stuckness. And let's jump right in. I know one thing that I wish I had open on my computer, and that's my email so that I could paste some links in. And everything that I say today, I will be posting links in the chat, but I'll also be posting them with when I send the follow-up things as well. And I decided at the very last second to reboot my computer. So the Pebble today is a um, Tara Brock, is a podcaster. She is a a Buddhist writer and a speaker and somebody I have just really enjoyed. If you remember back to the program we explored about think better, feel better, do better, and we talked about something that I learned from Tara Brock, the RAIN acronym for processing emotions, recognize, allow, investigate, or inquire, um, and nurture. She has a great podcast, and two or three Mondays ago in Ripples, somebody responded to Ripples and said, oh, this reminds me that I need to listen to Tara Brock's latest uh, podcast episode on letting go. And I was like, oh, I haven't been listening to her podcast lately. And so I listened to this episode, and if you may remember that there's three questions that I love asking myself and others in periods of change and challenge and loss. And the three questions are, what is it time to let go of? What will be important to hold on to? 
and what might be useful to look forward to. Well, she had three questions in her podcast that were a little bit different. And it was, can you let go of what has happened in the past? Can you let go of what will happen in the future? Can you let go of what is happening right now? And it was an interesting triad where instead of letting go and holding on and looking forward, it was let go, let go, let go. <laughs> and it was an interesting, it was an interesting way to, for me to, to sort of an invitation to reframe things and really just stay focused on letting everything go a little bit. And it lightened me up a little bit. So I wanted to share with you that the whole podcast episode, by the way, is, is worth listening to, but that was the quick poll I wanted to do. The Boulder came to me in an article, and I'll share the post in just a second, but here's the truth. I don't know if the article's worth reading. It, the question that I pulled out of it isn't, it is a very minor part of this article, but the question popped out at me because I have been noticing that when I'm listening to the inner chatter in my mind, that fear often asks a lot of questions. What if this all goes to, to hell? What, what if this doesn't work out right? What if this is, well, what about this? Ah, and frustration sometimes is very big with the questions like, oh, can you believe this is happening right now? And oh, what else is gonna happen? And this question was instead of listening to these questions, it was a question to ask love. And the question is, love, what would you have me do today? And I'll tell you, I, when, when I paste this into the link here, and when you see it, you'll see that I, I emphasize the word you. That's my emphasize, because at first I was asking it, just what would you, it, it didn't work. But when I write it as love, what would you have me do today? It really quiets me, and I find myself leaning in, because love does speak to me, certainly, and I, I think it's a quieter voice than fear, and, and it's a quieter voice than anger and frustration. And I think love often whispers, uh, at least in my system. And so instead of waiting to try to hear, to, to consciously ask, love, what would you have me to do today? And I, I'm asking it at the beginning of the day, but I'll tell you what has happened since I started purposely asking me that is I've paused in situations several times and said, love, what would you want me to do here? And I find that I often, there is a more loving response. There is often, um, a, let's wait a little bit before we decide what to do that comes up. So I invite you on this Valentine's Day week to maybe get a little more comfortable pausing and asking love what it requests of you or it wants from you in a, in a particular moment. And then that means it's time for some ponderations. And I will tell you that um, I have four things that I'm going to, to share with you today. And they all are relating to, to um, feeling stuck and getting unstuck. And the first is an article uh, that I'll put, I can't put the links in the, <laughs> I can't put the links in right now because my fingers are trapped. 
Do you remember these finger traps? I remember them as a kid. And this first article uh, that I read is from Leah Perlman. It was her blog post. And I've featured some of her writing in in Ripples a few times. My friend Pidge turned me on to Leah Perlman. She is an illustrator and writer and is just doing some really neat stuff. And she had a picture of a finger trap and, and her post was about getting stuck. And what she reminded me that I had to go out and find one so I could have a visual for our, for our presentation time today is that when you, your fingers are trapped in this, the natural instinct is to pull out. And what it does is it causes it to hold on tighter and that it takes a while to, to trust that the thing to do is to push your fingers together and to relax a little bit to make it possible for these to come out. And our usual reaction when we're stuck is to get upset um, at ourselves or the stuckness um, and to get frustrated uh, and to think, what is wrong with me that I'm stuck? What is, what, what is, why am I being punished with this stuckness? And what I think Leah was trying to offer and, and what I think this metaphor offers is what if we relaxed a little bit and changed the question from why am I stuck? What have I done wrong to how is stuckness trying to help me here? How am I trying to help myself by, by feeling stuck? And one of the, one of the useful turnarounds for me is that instead of thinking of stuckness as a, as a failure, as a problem, it is, it's trying to get you to pause a little bit. And there might be a couple of good reasons. Is there something that I need to learn before I make this decision? Or is there a different way that I need to be before I move into this? And because um, one of the questions, she, her questions were, what if stuckness is trying to help? What might it be trying to teach me? What needs am I trying to meet that seem in conflict? And very often, if part of you wants to do this and part of you wants to do that, it's going to come off looking like you're stuck um, or like you can't decide when really it's more useful instead of thinking of yourself as one entity is it's your committee and there's some disagreement. And this part of you, for a very good reason, thinks you should take the job. And this part of you, for a very good reason, thinks that it might be problematic or uncomfortable or dangerous and maybe we better not do that. And instead of picturing it as this problem that you can't move on. It's like, oh, you've got a little conflict or you've got some, some things that, that, are, that are good reasons for both. Let's stop and listen. And the other thing that Leah didn't write about, but what came to me as I was taking notes on the article was that it makes sense to me that there are certain needs. When, when she was saying about needs and conflict, I thought about the seek comfort, seek challenge balance. Part of us is always going to be drawn to safety and comfort. It's how we stay alive. We need that. But there's a part of us that knows that if we don't grow, if we don't learn, if we don't expand outward, we're going we're gonna to get stuck. We're going to feel. So there's a tension sometimes between doing the comfortable thing and doing the risky thing that we need to do. Um, another conflict that maybe come up is that you might know 
you're very good at one way of doing things. And what your system is trying to say is actually, we need you to, we need you to try a different way of doing it. Like for example, if you're normally somebody who's pretty good at zipping through your to-do list and go, 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 let's get her done quickly. This thing that you're stuck, it might be saying, I know that's the, the way we normally do it. This particular thing, it needs us to go slower. Or vice versa. If you're somebody who normally does best by taking three days to think about it, this particular thing might need you to trust your gut a little bit more and, and act. And um, I also thought about if Myers-Briggs stuff, everyone here in the room is a, uses their head sometimes and everybody in this space also feels sometimes. Most of us, when we're in mo work mode, when we're trying to move through our lives, we tend to either start with our head first, we go to the task at hands, we focus on checking things off the list, or we start first with relationships and emotions and, and, and do the task second. And if your natural instinct is to, to be in your head, the stuckness might be saying, yep, that's your strength and keep using it. This particular decision, this particular project, it needs you to feel a little more and lean into your heart or vice versa. If you're normally a heart person, then maybe it, maybe you need to be thinking a little, maybe use your head a little bit. And it's, it's that gentleness that has possibilities for opening us up. Well, then my buddy, Oliver Berkman, that you all know, I talk about a lot because I love the book 4,000 weeks and I love uh, all of his writing on productivity and in his column that, that his email that he pushed out around the same time as Leah's, which was great synchronicity for me. He was talking about getting things done, procrastination. He was talking about it. And he introduced me to a metaphor that someone else used about gnawing, turning gnawing rats into white sheep. And he was applying it specifically to things that your big projects you're trying to dive into. He was using the example of a, of a, a messy closet or something. And actually shed. He was talking about a shed. And, and, but where I found this useful is thinking we very often try to be, make an enemy out of something. So in this case, this, this actual stuckness or the part of you that is, that, that is resistant to, to jumping into action just now. And instead of seeing it as this bad thing, this rat that, that is gnawing at ropes or is, is trying to cause destruction, is there a way to go sit down with it, maybe keep a safe distance at first and see what it's trying to do and that very often you'll find that it's not actually a gnawing rat. It's, it's a neutral thing. And that they're treated the right way, this, the, the metaphor is that it becomes a white sheep. And not only are sheeps more docile, not, not only are sheeps more friendly, but generally sheeps will, are going to follow the herd. They're going to do as they're instructed. They're going to follow along quite a bit. And so that finding the way to be a little calmer and be a little more patient with the stuckness is that we might transform the gnawing rat into a white sheep. And then leave it to my buddy, James Clear, who I also love to pieces, uh, Atomic Habits guy, if you're not familiar, he puts out a newsletter every week-ish called 321 that has three quotes from him 
two quotes from other people and then a question for the week. And I, he, that's one of the newsletters that I consistently, uh, when it hits my inbox, although today's I have not opened yet, but typically when it lands, I'm reading it. And a few weeks ago, again, with the metaphors, I, I, I think this, this fireside chat could also be the metaphors because he talked about hats and haircuts and tattoos. And he said that most decisions come down, you can put in one of three categories, their hat decisions, their haircut decisions, or their tattoo decision. And he said, hats, trying on hats. If you try on a hat and you don't like how it looks, you don't have to buy it or you don't have to wear it that day. There's very little cost for you to try it on. So he says, most decisions are like trying on hats. You can try them on, don't work. Just, just try a whole bunch of them until you get it right. He said, some are like, um, are less like hats and more like haircuts. And that once you get your haircut, it's going to be that way for, for a while. And it's eventually going to grow out. You can take some risks, but you know there's going to be a couple weeks that you're going to have to wear it. You're going to have to deal with it. You might get some looks. You might get some laughs from your friends. But in a year, it's probably true that no one's going to remember. So for for certain decisions, recognize that there is some risk, but it's not so permanent that it is uh, it, that it's that it's worth not taking. It's okay to take those risks. And I will say, as an aside, that I did think of one example of a really bad haircut that I had um, in the eighties that has not I have not lived down yet. And there are a few people who have seen who still remember the time I got the permanent. And I had a perm and it was curly and it was, <clears throat> and I wasn't the only one. Lots of us guys in the eighties had to try it. And as somebody pointed out on the Tuesday night call, it's called a permanent for a reason. They're far more permanent. A perm. Ah, the days. Um, but the third one is a tattoo. And of course, you know, it makes perfect sense that a tattoo, once it's there, it's there. It's not very easy to get rid of. You're going to look, see it, depending on where it's at, you're going to see it every time you look in the mirror. You're going to see it every time you look at certain parts of your body. And those decisions are worth absolutely taking the time to be really, really cautious about. And I think for you, when you hear this, the first, the, the first thought I have is just to maybe spend some time, if you're stuck with the decision, to classify it correctly. And I would say what this metaphor was most useful for me is when I thought about it for just a minute is that I think a lot of decisions that are hat decisions, I put into um, the haircut category is that I'm, I'm far more hesitant to take certain kinds of risks or make certain kinds of decisions because I need to really think out much farther than I really do because I can undo that decision so much more. I will also say that for some people who don't think long enough about big decisions, that maybe it's the tattoo metaphor that really stands out as, oh, get better at noticing if something's a tattoo before we jump in and do it, because a certain person might be using haircut or um, hat um, logic to make ta what are really tattoo decisions. And so... I'll pause there and give you a moment just to wonder, is there any decision that you're making right now that you're struggling with? 
that just reclassifying it might might give it uh, a, might give you some more insight. And with that, I definitely want to move us into the final area of today's talk, and that is something that I probably read about at some point, um, and it, it's not so much the, the actual technique that is useful, but I've, I've owned this as something that I've suggested to lots of people and I've done myself, and I've never had a good name for it. So when I was deciding to include it in this, I came up with calling it Uncle Paul's DWSR technique. DWSR is an acronym. And I am going to take the chance, since I haven't put any of these in the chat windows, we'll just put all of them up there. But DSWR, sorry, DWSR stands for Decide, Write, Sleep, Review. So you decide, if you've got a decision that you're um, struggling with, the first step is you're going to flip a coin, you're going to pull papers out of a hat, you're going to ask a friend, you're going to say A or B, and they're going to say B, and you're going to say, okay, I'm going to do the, the one I written down as B, and you're just going to decide for the next one to two days, that's the decision I've made. And the second thing you're going to do is write it out on a piece of paper. I have decided to take this job, or I have decided that I am going to break up with this person. And then the idea is to sleep on it and wake up the next morning and look at your piece, leave that right by your bed, and the next morning, wake it up, wake up and look at it. And there's a good chance that you're either going to go, oh, yeah, that's right. Or you're going to go, oh, gosh, no, 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 no. And either way, that's useful information. And I will say there have been certain times um, in my life where I've actually literally gone and done this technique where it is neutral. I look at it and I go, I don't know if this helped. And what the addendum that I then suggest is flip it and actually write out the other decision the next night before you go to bed. Because sometimes it's the, it's the one either you're most excited about or the one you're most repelled by, depending on the situation, that actually is going to give you the, the punch you need of confirmation. Yes, this is right. Or, oh, no, I don't want that after all. So um, that's what the review um, is and, and gives you the opportunity to maybe flip and try it the other way. And it needs to be not an hour before the decision is due, obviously. I think this is good when you're coming up on a deadline, but you're not quite there yet. And I will tell you that I, I offered this advice to a friend once. And um, the <laughs> I don't know if I want to put this on the recording. I offered this once to somebody and um, I, got to, I got to be part of this, how the decision played out. And I will say that it was a it, it caused a very bold outcome that turned out in the long run to be the wrong decision. But I will say that I think it might lose it without telling details, but I told the story, but I don't want to put it on recording because it's personal. But I will say this. It turns out it was a very big decision. It involved a relationship that didn't work out. And it still was more like a haircut than a tattoo, even though it felt like this really big risks. And I am 100% sure that we both as human beings were much better off having 
gone for it, having tried it, having seen what it was like. And it really required him to write a note and go to bed and wake up the next day and see this note that says, I'm ready to take a chance on love. And I, I, I've never really talked about this publicly until tonight when I was using this example. And it really gave me a sense of closure when I realized that even though those were, that was some rough months because it turned out we weren't supposed to be together and it was not healthy for either one of us. But I am absolutely convinced that we both grew out of that in such a way that we were more mature on the other side of it, that we were healthier and that we understood each other and our relationship so much more because we went for it. So I don't think any of these techniques that I offer um, today are, are these ideas. I don't think they're guarantees that, hey, if you do this, you're going to make the right decision. What I like about them and why I'm so glad that I assembled these together to, to share with you today is that I think they give us ways to, to, re, to look differently at stuckness, to have more compassion when we're having a hard time making a big decision or maybe even a small decision, and that there are things we can do to think differently that will help us feel differently, that might help us do differently. And I think that's a good place for us to wind down the official time together and our recordings. So I think what I'd like to do is I'm going to remove the spotlight so that we can all be in a gallery. And as we say goodbye to the audio recording, those folks won't see it. But as we say goodbye to the video, could you all just kind of look into the camera and wave goodbye? And I will say thank you so much for watching this. And...